When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our first Cleveland.com Ohio State football podcast of the 2016-2017 season. Doug Maurice, along with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, we are your coverage team from Cleveland.com. We called this the bad podcast last year. Uh, we might be renaming that. We're kind of stepping it up a little bit on the like uh, being real journalists front, at least when we talk. So we'll see how that goes. That was a very professional opening. Uh, well, I did, uh, I did a Twitter question. I'm trying to gauge from people what they want to see from our coverage. And I asked people about um, the podcast, and I'm flying high because one of the uh, possible answers was, yes, I listened to it, and it's awful. Mm -hmm. And that only got 2%, and I can't believe it. I thought awful would get like 20%. Well, the possibility, too, is that only 2% of people are listening to it, which is bad. Well, no, because the other one was, yes, I like it, or yes, it's awful. Or no, oh. I've never heard of it. And I think yes, oh, okay. yes I like I it, and no, I've never heard of it are the two, possible, two best possible yeah. answers. No, i never heard of it is like way ahead, which is why we're maybe trying to change <laughs> things a little bit. So we hope to make this a little easier to find on iTunes. We hope you guys can subscribe to it this year. You can do it now uh, on our Cleveland.com sports mm-hmm. podcast channel. It's on a specific Ohio State channel, but you can find us there. But we want to make this more accessible um, and we want to talk Ohio State football. So we are going to do that. The Buckeyes report for camp on Saturday. Their first practice is Sunday. And this is a completely different team. And Bill, Ari, and I were just talking about this. I think it's possible that this is going to have a completely different vibe. We know they're replacing 16 starters. I think it might feel almost like a completely different I don't want to say program because Ohio State has the things that it does. But, Bill, how, how different do you think this camp might feel because of all the guys they lost and maybe the uncertainty surrounding so many of the guys who are going to end up starting? I mean, way different uh, for multiple reasons. The first thing is, like, last year at moving, it was it was almost like – it's going to sound weird to say, but it was almost like a red carpet in a lot of ways. Like, you knew who the people were walking in. Some of them felt like celebrities. Braxton Miller had drone cameras following him around. But like you sort of knew the personalities of the guys who were going to be showing up and could expect certain things of certain people from an entertaining standpoint. And like now we have no idea what these guys are like. like. We know they're on the football team, and that's basically the extent of our knowledge of a lot of these guys. So aside from the fact that like we don't know what they're like as football players, and we'll learn that throughout the course of camp, we like don't know what they're like as people. We have no idea. Like Is Torrance Gibson going to show up in a stretch limo? He might, but he could also just kind of walk in with his bags, not say anything, and I know Ohio State polo shirt. And he's never... He's never caught a pass as a college football player, so he might in a year or two. Um, but again, I mean, I saw Terrell Pryor like brought a flat screen TV to camp one year and like made a, a like <laughs> graduate assistant like carried into the hotel. So like that's the kind of swag we're talking about. And as the least cool guy on the beat, we will defer to the self-professed coolest guy on the beat. Like what? How different is the swag level of this team going to be when you take? Darren Lee and Mike Thomas and Cardale Jones and Joey Bosa and Vaughn Bell and so many guys like that off the team from a year ago. 
Braxton Miller had a personal camera guy filming him as he walked around last year. Return so, of the Real. It was a, it was a documentary. That was like, what does that even mean as a human? And we were all like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. There's a drone with a camera? That makes sense. And then, like, there was another personal human following him. I don't know if that was, like, in the postseason. I can't remember, but they were creating a documentary about Braxton Miller. And his drone matched the BMW that he pulled up into. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out which And he was, like, the seventh best player on the offense. I'm not sure I would watch a documentary about anybody on this team yet. (laughs) I would watch a documentary about Braxton. Is that out, by the way, Braxton? Let us know. Yeah, um, coolness factor. I think there's a big dip this year. And I think part of it, like Doug said, is having to prove yourself that you're good enough. But, like, these people are, like, famous in the recruiting process now. Like, Torrance Gibson has never caught a pass, but, like, everybody on the planet knows who Torrance Gibson is. And I'm trying to think of, like, the coolest guy in the recruiting. You know who has some swag but is really quiet is Marshawn Lattimore. Like, he's my dark horse. If he becomes a lockdown corner this year... He's got a pretty good Jordans collection. He's from Glenville. He has a little bit of an attitude, I think, in terms of his style. I think that he could be a dark horse of cool coolness. But he has to win the job and he has to play and not get hurt. So there's definitely going to be a big dip so far. I can't even think of people right now that like there was like seven guys on the team last year that were really cool and did crazy stuff, and I can't think of one person that could even mirror the worst out of those seven. Well, they're only returning six starters, and they have the three clear captains. And when you think about those three captains. They're almost more to me, almost like military type guys, like like down the middle, the straight and narrow, take care of business. JT Barrett, Raekwon McMillan, and Pat Elfline, like they will not have a drone. They will not wear like a crazy T-shirt to the first check-in day. I don't think like they're all about business. And we heard a lot from the national media, and sometimes for us it's hard because you're you just are in your Ohio State bubble, so you don't know the comparison. But the last couple of years, the national guys who were in here always talked about how interesting this team was, how they had a lot of great talkers. And and they did. I mean, the Tyvis Powell, Cardell Jones, father-son stuff was was crazy. You know, like um, Jalen Marshall could be an interesting guy. Um, you know, like they're, like Eli Apple could, could, like Eli Apple... When I talked to him before the national championship game, when they played Oregon, was like, yeah, we're going to win two. I was like, yeah, you haven't won one yet. Like, I don't – who on this team would – this current team would project, yeah, we're going to win multiple national championships here. So if we think it's going to be different, does it matter if it's different? Do you think, Bill, this team needs to swag up? Or can they be maybe a little more businesslike as these guys get their feet under them and, and be really good? Yeah, I think like swagger is sort of fun to talk about. I don't really know how important it is, especially at this stage uh, of the season when it's early August. Um, and I don't think like the team's not showing up to the hotel on Saturday thinking like they're going. Like the only thing they have going for them is the swagger they can bring when they're walking into the hotel they're staying in. Like JT Barrett was in media days and talking about how like, the faces are the same, but they're sort of expecting the same kind of thing, which I know is is uh, really cliche. But I don't think. They're walking in thinking that they're on some kind of lower level, I guess, than the guys who were walking in last year. So I don't, I don't think the lack of coolness is uh, a major factor for them. Well, the question is, is like, what team is more likely to win a championship? The U type of team, like you know, the the old U, or like the old Notre Dame team that they were competing against? And it's like, which one do you, which one would you prefer, and which one do you think do you need to have that edge? or that swagger, or that Braxton Miller drone-ish 
stuff going on with you to win a championship. And I don't know, boring and businesslike or crazy and out there. I don't know. Those guys. I mean, I think. I think when we look back, we were more in the midst of a you talking about Miami kind of deal than I think maybe we even realized at the time. And I think when you look back, because I do think there's a decent comparison there with the way they carried themselves, especially coming off that national championship. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like it's, it's interesting because they, they felt it last year. They didn't play up to that level most of the season. I mean, like the whole thing of they weren't beating teams by enough. Everybody complained, oh, they only won by 14. They didn't play their best. They did not play to their level of expectation. They didn't play to their ability, but they still carried that um, for a year and a half, probably since once they got rolling in like the middle of 2014. So uh, I'll I'll be curious to see um, if guys, once they get established, do get more like that? Well, Jamarco Jones, once he establishes himself as the left tackle, will he be that way? Well, Dante Booker, once he establishes himself as a starting linebacker, which we know he's going to be, will he be more that way? Or maybe are these guys, that's not their natural personality. I think we have to figure that out. Well, Doug, let me ask you this, because you've been on the beat longer than all of us, but you've been to a lot of these check-in days. I mean, I know if I was going to a check-in day and I was on the team, I'd be wearing the freshest pair of Jordans I own the coolest t-shirt I have, and I would be walking in like I am the coolest human on planet Earth, because I am. But, like, how many people can you remember in your past that have gone through check-in day and have had the Braxton Miller-ish type swagger before they ever proved themselves? Is is Terrell Pryor the best example of that? Or I mean, Terrell Pryor is the only thing I can remember bringing to TV. But, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's some guys who show up with their clothes in a garbage bag who are like... You know, yeah. Joe Burrow walked on with like some superhero T-shirts on a hanger last year. <laughs> yeah, like, are you on the team? <laughs> so you know, I mean, I think I, you know, I think like John Simon like just brought like, you know, a couple pairs of football cleats and didn't like he wasn't there to have swag. He was there to just lift weights and play football. So you know, um, it, it, there's not a lot of guys, but I think, but yet, if I thought of in my uh, this will be my twelfth check-in coming up. You know, who are the craziest, swaggiest check-in guys? I mean, like, probably eight of the top ten are guys who were on the team last year. Right. Yeah. You know, like, when we went there last year, you knew Cardale Jones was going to bring something to the table. You know, you knew Braxton was going to bring something to the table. You knew yeah. if Darren Lee was going to talk, he was going to bring something to the table. And I don't know what's going to be on the table this year. Yeah, well, there's no Ronda Rousey shirt this year. Well, I will say this. If, if we're looking for guys who, who might, last year, Mike Weber, Damon Webb, and Josh Allaby, three guys who basically didn't do anything, all wore imported from Detroit T-shirts, and that was a very calculated, I'm wearing this on move-in day, look at me, I'm sending a message, move. So maybe they'll do it again, something. Maybe they'll like make fun of because Michigan these guys know. brand or something. Who knows? Sometimes people pretend like now they're just going to be getting to the hotel. And these guys know what it is. They know that there's going to yeah. be people taking pictures. It's paparazzi. It's not day. like, it's they, not like yeah. they show up like when Jeff Hireman wore that shirt. I don't even remember what it said. There was a bad word on it or it's something. It's a naughty word, yeah. He, he knew the reason why he wore that shirt that day was because they were going to be pictures yeah. of him all over No, the it's not. And we're oh, my. <laughs> why are all these people at the hotel? It's like weird, crazy, so it's like you, paparazzi hiding in bushes. So even if you have a morsel of personality that you want to project, there's no better platform to do it than on Saturday when we're there watching the check I think you might have nailed the underrated guy because he's shown a little personality on social media and Urban Meyer said a lot of good things about him at Media Day. And I think he's been waiting to play because I think he thought he was going to play last year and he redshirted. But Mike Weber might bring it. 
he could be a guy who brings it a check-in before he brings it on the and field. And Mike Weber is up there with Torrance Gibson for most written about player who has never played. Huge yet. recruit. Huge yeah. recruit, but not just a huge recruit, an interesting recruit with a backstory. Yeah. A, a Michigan backstory with the rival, <coughs> coaches leaving. I mean, everybody knows the story by now, but, you know, some question as to whether or not he was misled before he got to Ohio State. Wore a Michigan shirt after signing with Ohio State while working out. Just said it was – but people – I mean, that's a very sensitive situation too considering the fact that he's from Michigan and, you know, had an offer and was contemplating going to Michigan. If anybody ever wanted to be out there and to make a statement, Mike Weber has the platform, the personality, and he plays the position too. So just to uh, finalize the numbers if people were wondering, our Twitter poll, do you listen to our Ohio State podcast – no, didn't know about it, 57%. No, zero interest, 26%. Yes, like it, 14%. Yes, it's awful, 3%. I'll take those numbers. No, uh, no zero interest is a little alarming to me. People listen to podcasts, you're lying. Um, okay, so there are going to be a lot of jobs up for grabs this camp. There's going to be roster futures up for grabs, and we'll get to into this even more. It's going to be a fascinating thing of this camp, all the uncertainty and, and the guys not just fighting to play but fighting to position themselves for their futures at Ohio State because there is an unbelievable recruiting class building for 2017. There is a shortage of spots, um, and there may be guys who, if they don't look like they can be on the two deep and they've been here a couple years, they may find themselves deciding or being asked if they want to decide uh, that they don't want to be here anymore. So it's going to be a fascinating camp. But when we talk about the jobs, and we're going to break this down a little more, um, one of the most interesting spots is receiver. Bill, do you think Noah Brown has something locked down at receiver? Or do you think that's wide open? Um, how, how locked in is Corey Smith coming back from an injury but as a veteran guy? Um, how does Curtis Samuel fit into all this? Like, I think... There's one way you can look at it where you say, well, I think Noah Brown and Corey Smith start on the outside and Curtis Samuel's the slot or the H-back, and there's not that much surprise. And there's another way you can look at it, which is nobody on this roster has done anything as a receiver ever, basically. Corey Smith has done a little bit, and it's wide open. We don't even know where Curtis Samuel's going to play. So how do you view the receivers going into camp? Yeah, it's interesting. I think Noah Brown is, is pretty locked in. Which is surprising because, like you said, he hasn't done anything. And JT Barrett in media days said that his favorite target is Noah Brown, which was crazy to me because the only experience he has throwing the ball to Noah Brown is last spring and this spring, right? Noah Brown never played. Like he played last like fall. Noah Brown didn't play last fall. Oh, he got injured in the he spring. He broke his leg in August. He's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, right. I mean, and JT JT wasn't around in the spring. I mean, he was throwing. They were basically playing catch. They weren't even yeah. like... Noah Brown couldn't run. JT Barrett couldn't run. But Noah Brown has somehow made himself JT That's Barrett's... That's got to be just off 7 favorite or 7 target. Right. right? Which is like, I guess you can show some things there. But just the way they're talking about him, really for the last year plus, I think as long as he's healthy, which all indications seem to be that he is healthy, he is locked in at one of the ex-receiver spots. Uh, I don't feel that way with Corey Smith. I know they're very excited to have a fifth-year senior back in the receiver group. Um, I think they're probably more excited about that because of his contributions on special teams. Uh, he was really good on kick coverage before he got hurt uh, last year against Rutgers. Um, I don't know if he is talented enough to hold off some of the guys they have in that receiver group who are behind him or are going to be challenging him for one of those starting jobs. 
Um, so I think it's wide open. If you, you have Noah Brown on one outside spot and Curtis Samuel, if he's going to be in the slot, that other outside spot, I think there's six guys who might have a legitimate shot at that. I've got a, like, a lot of interesting thoughts about these two guys. First of all, been on the beat for six years, and there's been a lot of wide receiver competitions, and unguardable was used multiple times when talking about Noah Brown. Yeah. Unguardable. I think that's a very strong word. And again, I don't know much about these broken legs and how people come back, but I mean, it's been a year now since it's happened. And the way that people have talked about Noah Brown, it's hard to imagine a scenario where he's not a main contributor in the receiving core. Corey Smith caught passes in the national championship game two years ago and had some big plays. So like, as much as he's never really broken out, Corey Smith has really had a, a pretty big scenario with just being a part of this team in a, in a way that he's a contributor in big situations. So he's never caught 50 passes in a season, but he's certainly been around. So both of those guys seem to be in the mix. Uh, but young talent, I think, trumps fifth-year senior, as always, in every scenario and every position on this team. I'm fascinated by the second cornerback battle, Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore. I'm fascinated by the... Second safety battle, if you assume Malik, Malik Hooker has a job, which I think he does, or there's about five guys at the other safety spot, um, from Damon Webb to Eric Smith to Cam Burrows to Urban Meyer throwing Damon Arnett out there as a guy who's a corner who could slide to safety into that competition. Um, I'm fascinated by the, like, the last two spots in the offensive line. I am not – what do I know? I'm not there. I'm not buying Michael Jordan is locked in yet. He's a true freshman on the offensive line. Urban Meyer talked a lot about Michael Jordan at Big Ten Media Days. Malcolm Pridgen is coming in as a junior college transfer, um, and there's still a bunch of other guys there. I think that could be maybe something there that still develops. Um, And then I think the defensive tackle spot is going to be really interesting. But I want to ask about three guys in particular and get your thoughts, and then I'll double back on Michael Jordan because he's, he's part of this. Austin Mack at receiver, Nick Bosa on the defensive line, Michael Jordan on the offensive line. Three true freshmen. Do you think which of those three who are getting a lot of talk will make major contributions this year for a program that the last couple years has a history of talking up freshmen and playing them virtually not at all? Will any of those guys be huge contributors? Mack, Bosa, Jordan. I think Bosa will. I don't... and I. Don't want me to put you on the spot, Ari, but is Nick Bosa Urban Meyer's highest-rated recruit that he signed since he's been at Ohio State? Um, I don't know the answer to that completely off the top of my head for sure, but he's in the top. If he's not, he's close to it. So the point being that I like obviously they don't play freshmen. They talk about it all the time. They don't do it, like Doug said. I think Nick Bosa is a little different. Um, They say he's ahead of Joey Bosa, where Joey was when he came in as a freshman. Um, which is a crazy thing to say. Right, and he's coming off yeah. a knee injury, which is like you always have to qualify anything you say about Nick Bosa with the fact that he's coming off a torn ACL from a senior year of high school. So you can be excited about him, but you don't know quite how he's going to be until you see the strain he puts in that knee when he gets in the camp. But if he's as talented as everyone says he is, which is more talented than most of the freshmen they've bought in here, I think he plays. I think he plays a lot. I think he's at the right spot on, on the team at defensive tackle, an area that's been an area of concern of Meyer since he's been here in terms of depth. Um, so I think out of those three, Nick Bosa is the guy. I was actually going to say Austin Mack, and I don't think that's the popular answer. I think that that's the craziest one. Yeah. Because of the skill positions and the people that are in front of him. And, and, and I don't know why I feel this, but I, I feel like I've watched 
Austin Mack in camps for two years before he committed to Ohio State. We saw him some this spring, and I feel like he runs – he doesn't look like a freshman. He's and a I'm, professional receiver. I mean, yeah. Like, because he knows how to play the position. And most people that came to Ohio State, or a lot of people that come to Ohio State as receivers aren't like that. And I think that he's like – he's not a big, tall, throw-the-ball-downfield, jump-over-people receiver. He was like a – in high school, a run-crisp routes, get open quickly, and catch passes receiver, possession-type receiver – and Ohio State, given the fact that their entire receiving core is coming in without any experience, for the most part, he has a really good chance. And let's not talk, forget that he came in for spring and he's been through three weeks of full contact drills at Ohio State. So I think that given the fact that he has that polish, as Doug mentioned, he's been there for spring, and there's a lot of opportunity at his position in terms of rotation, I really do think he has a chance to catch maybe 30 or 40 balls as a freshman, and that's a pretty huge thing to say right now, having not seen him in fall camp yet. That's a big number. Um, that's a really big number, and I think you know I, I, it's going to be one of the things that I am most interested about, and I'm going to ask Urban Meyer about it every week, um, is playing the true freshman because they are talking it up like crazy, and they do not do it. Obviously, it's a different situation with as many guys as they lost, but if Austin Mack and Nick Bosa and Michael Jordan and um, who are the other guys I should be talking about who, is, who are high-profile guys who – Maybe they think could come in and help right away. I like totally uh, Demario McCall is the name we've heard. Demario McCall at H back or running back. Um, JT Byer was talking about Benjamin Victor, another guy receiver, and he's a big body guy and too. He's That's tall. the thing about him is he's yeah. tall, and like we've talked about their weird recruiting tactics at receiver, not getting a big body guy. So that might he might be the big, I don't know if this off the top of my head, What's but he, he, he might be the biggest receiver. The, in the, tight, the tight ends, right? Jake Houseman and Luke and, Farrell. And Luke Farrell. Yeah. Um, there's just a list of guys, and if and it's, we're going to see it right away at the beginning of the year. Uh, if they get at a lead on Bowling Green and Tulsa at all, if they don't put those guys in the game to get them a taste, and with the idea of we're not redshirting them, we're we're not even thinking about it, we're going to get them a look. Uh, I'm going to ask why because they're they have messed up the roster management uh, with the way they have redshirted so many guys last year, um, and. I know injuries happen sometimes, and they had a lot of good really players in front of them, but they didn't give guys a chance late in games. I, I, it was very strange. So they must do that. I'm going to ask them every week, why didn't you play these freshmen if they don't play the freshmen? Another one, too, it's kind of a weird name to throw out there, but Jonathan Cooper. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much was as in early in spring. Talk yeah. about, they want to talk about Nick Bosa being ready and on the defensive line. Cooper was an animal. And he was here. And he was here. Like, during this last six months of his recruitment on the camp circuit, like, he was dominating people. He, he grew to a five-star prospect, and he's every bit as, as rated and as good as Joey, I mean, uh, Nick Bosa was in the last six. And he's not coming off a knee injury. So he might, be an, he might be an interesting guy to, to keep, you know, thought of, uh, too. So, and Jordan Fuller is another crazy good talent in the defensive back. And there's more names in the defensive backfield than we can even remember right now. But he was also a pretty mm-hmm. clutch get for Ohio State out of Jersey. So, um... We asked people for some questions before we did our, our podcast here. We have one from uh, Kenny Stabler on Twitter, um, who is at Beats Bledsoe. Does the rumor of Michael Jordan being a starter say more about other players not developing or that he is an all-world talent? I wrote this in the spring that if Michael Jordan starts, it's a failing on Ohio State's behalf in terms of not developing these guys who've been on the roster for a year or two. Because it's not like they weren't – they had two big offensive line classes mm-hmm. the last two years ahead of Michael Jordan. And they had big-time four-star recruits who should be ready to seize this job. Right. And in my mind, 
if Michael Jordan is coming in and beating those guys out, that means something's not going right. Because in my mind, Michael Jordan's not Orlando Pace. Now, get back to me in 20 years. If he's going into Canton, then I'll look like an idiot. Bill, do you... Do you think maybe Michael Jordan's just that good? Because everybody was talking about him at Big Ten Media Days. Is he that good? Could he be that special, that smart, that adaptive, that skilled, that tough, that strong? Is everybody talking about him because everybody was talking about him in the spring? That's another thing, too. Is I feel like sometimes stories start. Well, Urban mentioned him at the podium, and then he's from Detroit. So all the Detroit writers were asking so, him everything about Michael Jordan. And the thing that I get, and I don't mean to interrupt you, Bill, because okay. the floor is yours. <laughs> but sometimes I wonder if, like, a story about a freshman coming along quickly, taking reps of the first team, turns into a legend before it's actually a thing. If he was from Idaho, like he wouldn't he, have been asked as much. About, like, like about it's like he... Yeah. I'm not saying he didn't get off to a fast start. But when somebody's talked about enough, then it perpetuates itself. And then I wonder if it's actually a real thing or if we're blowing out of proportion. Bill, yeah. it's just—it's so, so, so rare for a true freshman to be good enough to start on the offensive line and be as good as, as the way like they're top talking. five program, right? Like Urban, even Urban Myers. The last time it's happened for a team that he's coached was Marquise Pouncey. I think the only time—the only it's time it's happened. That guy's a Pro Bowler. He's pretty good, right? Yeah, like he was <laughs> the best center in college football. I don't know, like. Maybe Michael Jordan's that good. I have no idea. But until we see Michael Jordan play in a game that's not the spring game, and I didn't watch him probably as closely as I should have in the spring game, but even that's not a great a great test of how good a guy actually is. But I, at this point, I think it's way more of an indictment on guys like Demetrius Knox and Matthew Burrell and Evan Lyle, guys who weren't, pro- were guys. They weren't project guys when they were recruited. They were right. guys who wait a year and then you put them in. And they just got passed by a true freshman in a matter of weeks in spring ball. And there's a reason why none of the three of us, when when Doug asked which true freshman he think he contributed, none of us came out and said Jordan. I mean, we're skeptical. We're, right. It's just, it's not something that happens. Like, I can picture a receiver or a guy that is a clone of a top five draft pick playing, but not an offensive lineman. What is the best way to motivate those guys that you just mentioned? Yeah, put a freshman in front of them. Talk about the true freshman yeah. who's going to start. Um, so I think it's I think it's very interesting. Now Michael Jordan was a big time recruit. People said good things about him. We were up at Sound Mind Sound Body um, two summers ago. It seemed like people were high on him. He was a very highly recruited guy. He seems like uh, first impression, very first impression. He seems like a very together kid. That you've got to have your stuff together if you're going to do this. And so you can be tall and strong or whatever, but. You can't freak out. So and he, he has those he, things. He too. doesn't yeah. seem like the kind of guy who's going to freak out right. the first time they change the blocking call in Ohio State. And he also, and I always have to make it about recruiting because that's my identity. It's in my DNA. But he was also a guy who's from the Detroit area, who was being recruited by Michigan State and Michigan, chose Ohio State, no drama, continued just to, to move on and, and develop as an offensive lineman in high school was all in from the beginning, and Ohio State had a very close relationship with him, and it just seems like he was a little bit ahead of his time in the way he handled his recruitment, especially in a high-pressure situation like living in a state where your arch-rival lives located like pretty closely to where you live. So We have another question from Eddie Vulik, who's on Twitter, at um, Zadea. This is his actual Twitter handle. He asked a question about Ohio State compared to Michigan State and Michigan in the Big Ten East. Um, he asks if the home field advantage for uh, Michigan State 
in that game for Ohio State is enough to sort of turn that game for Michigan State in the second last game of the year? Um, and is Ohio State too young in all this? Like when we when when we look at Ohio State compared to Michigan and Michigan State right now as we get going, we know Ohio State was the favorite to win the Big Ten in the Cleveland.com poll that stands as the most official Big Ten preseason poll. Um, in your mind, Bill, are they a clear favorite, and or is it almost a toss-up between Ohio State and Michigan State, who also lost lost a lot of guys, and Michigan? Yeah, I don't. We talked about this in Chicago a little bit. We did a Facebook Live video. We talked about this, and I don't. I, I understand why people would consider Ohio State the favorite, um, and I think I, I I might have picked Michigan to win the East, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think they're all close. I think the difference with Michigan State and Ohio State is that they're both replacing a lot of guys. Michigan State, the way that they've been running their program the last few years is when they lose guys, they usually replace them with upperclassmen. They have a lot of redshirt seniors on their roster. They're plugging a lot of juniors in the new spots, so they're inexperienced, but they're not young. Um, And Ohio State is both. So Ohio State has a talent level that I think that eventually evens out. But I think Michigan State is probably starting from a little bit better of a place in terms of just the, the age of the guys on their roster. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that plays when you get into November, because I think you have to remember that. Ohio State and Michigan State aren't going to play until the second to last game of the season, and a lot can change over the course of three-plus three plus months uh, until that game is played. Um, so I think Ohio State probably has a talent edge on both of those teams. They are just more uh, – they have older guys on their roster right now. So we have a question from Nick Kelly underscore Cincy, and I don't know that we have an answer to this, but it's something we probably should look into can you think of another team with a similar percentage of players who haven't played a down in college football? I know in Phil Steele's preseason magazine, which is a tremendous preseason magazine, I believe Ohio State is the youngest, the least experienced team, not in the Big Ten, in college football out of 128. So this is rare. We'll try to get some research and get a comparison on this. But this is rare, uh, how inexperienced they are. Um, question from at Brent Monroe on Twitter. Ari, for you. All right. We can answer it, too. But I haven't even looked at it probably punch us. <laughs> Name the 2017 recruits you think Ohio State will end up landing. They have 16 or 17 right now? 16. 16 as we speak. And If you try to answer this, I'll hit what, you. Another, what, like, <laughs> another five or six you think of guys who are out there floating that are they're really targeting? Yeah. I mean, well, there's probably ten. And I'm going to do a story in the next week about ranking because... Every month I've been ranking Ohio State's top priorities in order of importance, and Ohio State landed a few of the top five last few weeks, so I've got to start over again. But I think they're going to need to get two receivers. I think Trayvon Grimes and Tyjon Lindsey are going to be pretty big um, gets in that scenario. And then whether or not they have room for Lamont Wade will be an interesting thing to follow. Um, you know, I don't need to answer this whole thing, I don't think. Why don't you go ahead and have you been following it, Bill? Not like you. No, I'm trying to think. Like, so Jeffrey Okuda, that's a guy, that's right? another one, in, yeah. In the secondary. It's, like, it's hard to predict they're, because... They're retweeting Jeffrey Okuda. Yeah. I saw that. He was one of the... Dude, how about the sneakiness going on with these retweets, huh? We'll, we'll get into this later. Uh, coaches are now allowed to retweet um, recruits on Twitter. So all that we have been doing for the last day is watching which... Players, Kerry Combs and Zach Smith and Mark Pantone have been retweeted. And I was surprised that Pantone came out and retweeted commitments first. You would think that they would be more focused in retweeting uh, the guys they still want. So, but I can, uh, I'll look at this list right now, 
And I think that Jeffrey Okuda, who's a five-star safety from Texas, Ohio State wants to get Cam Akers, who's a five-star running back from Mississippi. And I'm going to probably write a story about this this week, about the situation between J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers, because it reminds me a lot of Derek Green and Ezekiel Elliott, because I think they have to choose one. I don't think they can do both. Darnay Holmes is a cornerback from Southern California. I don't know if they'll get him. Trayvon Grimes, um, the five-star receiver from Florida. He's in. Yeah. Doug knows because Doug talked to him at Friday Night Lights. Um, you know, and then there's just a few more. Anthony Hines is another guy. He's a five-star linebacker from Texas. It just Also doesn't... a big retweet. Lots of guys retweeting him. Jalen Harris got retweeted today, and I wrote a story about him. He's a wide receiver. I don't know if they'll have room for him from Cleveland. Um, you know, it's just it's hard for me because I don't know how many spots they're actually going to take. Which is some, like there's some great stuff there. We're going to save that. You had such good conversations with Urban Meyer in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days. I'd like to remind people, there's, you see lots of similar stories around. They're from us. Ari drove all the questioning on asking Urban Meyer about the hard choices you make in recruiting. It was fascinating. And Ari's going to bring it to you. So that's going to be coming soon. I feel down like the I road. should probably do it this week because I'm tired of saying the it. questions. It's really interesting. Um, we're going to get to a couple more reader questions because we are professional podcasters engaging with our audience. <laughs> Which means and you have to listen so that our percentages go up. Yeah, we've got we to gotta raise up that 52% of like, what? They have a podcast? Uh, Tom Knox, who is a business writer for uh, Columbus Biz First. Columbus Business First is the most comprehensive resource for businesses in Columbus. Uh, he asked us how our babies made. And so, you know, like just with love, I would say, yeah. man, just with love. Uh, I have two kids. It was, it was love, man. Um, and we'll get to our last um, question, which this person at Box Trots, at Box Trots must have been at, McD- at McDonald's with us when we were driving back from Chicago from Big Ten Media Days. And they had a chicken McGriddle on the wall and when you have like a poster of a chicken McGriddle on a wall that can spark a 45 minute conversation between the three of us here's the question is chicken a legitimate breakfast meat (sighs) no No. I think no well here's the thing so I'm on like a quasi paleo diet right now Um, and the other day for breakfast I had eggs and chicken sausage and that to me felt like a breakfast meat but like I wouldn't have a like a piece of chicken breast for breakfast. Chicken is not offered at restaurants for breakfast. It's not. It's not, it's not even a debate. They have it at Chick Fil A. Yeah, you get a nice biscuit with a ch- chicken patty in it. God, I would smash that right now. <laughs> um, the it's not a breakfast meat. I want it. The, the debate. <laughs> the debate. We'll take your question. And the, this is the question that I had at McDonald's that sparked our forty-five minute debate: is they have a chicken McGriddle. That is only offered at breakfast. It's the McGriddle pancake buns with a chicken on it. And then they stop serving it for lunch. And I would smash that at lunch. Chicken and waffles is not breakfast. Chicken, chicken and waffles is more lunch or dinner than it is breakfast. But so ch- I don't see I mean, why it's not all day. For sure, chicken and waffles is I not breakfast. I mean, in breakfast? my limited chicken and waffles experience, chicken and waffles is not breakfast. All the chicken and waffles, like Lolo's in Phoenix. <laughs> and if you haven't been there, you should. The Roscoe's. Roscoe's in Southern California. These are not breakfast establishments. Uh, to me, though, I would rather bring the chicken to the waffles than the waffles to the chicken. So I'm taking the waffles in the morning, and I'm bringing that chicken in. And and plus, if you get a biscuit, if you get a good biscuit, absolutely you can put a piece of chicken in that biscuit. And a biscuit is more of a breakfast thing. I know you eat biscuits with something 
at lunch or dinner, but if you put something inside the biscuit, then it's breakfast. And I feel like you can put that chicken in the biscuit, and you be you're absolutely good to go. See, I've always felt absolutely legitimate Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. The Chick Fil A example is a valid example, but don't they put egg on it too? Yeah. And second of all, it is weird. It is a weird sandwich. I'm not saying it's not glorious, but it's not the first thing that you would think of, or even especially when you think about the biology of strange, weird. And we're doing hand signals right now. <laughs> it just it's great, but chicken is not a natural. I mean, was the word appropriate in the question? Legitimate. Legitimate. Yeah, legitimate. It's, it's not legitimate. I, I think it, it it could work, but you're forcing it, guy. You're forcing it. <laughs> I would wear a t-shirt that says, chicken is a le- legitimate breakfast meat. I'm going to make that t-shirt, wow. and I'm going to sell it uh, at the same place you can get our iTunes podcast. While we're recording this, can you order a pie now that we're talking about it? I know. I want chicken and waffles. Um, thanks for listening. If you know a friend who is among the 52% who said, I didn't know they had a podcast, tell a friend. Tell a friend about the Nameless Ohio State podcast that is more professional and we leaned into the mics more. Um, we're going to do it all season, every week. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be uh, informative. We're going to be moderately uh, entertaining. And we're, uh, we're doing it for you. So for Ari, for Bill, I'm Doug. Thank you for listening to the Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, the podcast to be named later. <laughs>